You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. It's Sunday, July 24th, week three in our Without Walls series, featuring real life pastors from around the region. As Without Walls continues, Dan Shields from Valley Real Life joins us at our Moscow campus to remind us that we are all on a mission from God. Good morning. I am so excited uh, to be here with you. My name is Dan Shields. I am uh, the new lead pastor over at Valley Real Life. New is in the last year. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But one of the great things about this whole, you know, kind of tour, you know, that we've kind of been doing, I know that Aaron and Kelly are at our church today, and we're going to chance to be, you know, here today. It's just kind of fun to see what God has done, you know, through the whole Real Life Ministries network. Now, don't you really appreciate Aaron? Anybody ever love Aaron? You know, um, for the seven of you who clapped, you know, um, you love him too. Uh, 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 oh, here's what you, sometimes we, f- we fail to forget. Sometimes when, when guys like Aaron and Jim Putman, when they left Oregon to go plant a church in Post Falls, Idaho, little did they know that not too many years later, they would plant a church in, Val- in the valley called Valley Real Life, and then there'd be one in North Spokane, and then there's one here in the Palouse, and, you know, and, and you're seeing going to be one in Texas, and you're like, you have no idea when people say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to follow God's leading. I- I'm going to make disciples for him and where that may lead us. And so uh, I know Aaron, uh, he's part of the reason I came up to Post Falls. Uh, I actually got my master's degree with Aaron when we were in uh, Southern California together. You'd kind of fly in together. Together. Uh, so we both got our degrees. He got a higher GPA than I did, but uh, that, that kind of speaks more to Aaron than it does to me. Uh, but uh, uh, it's just been great to kind of connect with him. Last year, my wife and I got a chance to go with Aaron to Israel. So that was a great experience and encounter, and I know uh, how many of you guys have, I mean, it's how many, many of you guys have gone to Israel with Aaron and with other people as well. It's just awesome. Now, I do have a confession to make, and I hope this is a real life place, isn't it? Okay, so here is my confession. Uh, first, I want to welcome those of you who are uh, watching right now in Pullman. So excited that you are here. But that's the reason I want to make a confession. Is uh, uh, Eric, you know, who led this morning, and myself, we grew up in Seattle, Washington. So I'm a diehard Huskies fan. So is, is, is that going to be okay in this environment? Absolutely not. Yeah, because... We were, we were so afraid we were going to come here and we were going to cook it. And we didn't want to do that, you know, at all. We didn't, we didn't. And so that was our, hey, by the way, if you ever want to be a public speaker, don't do what I just did. You know, first time you come to a place, you just alienated, you know, half the people. I think uh, Pullman has just uh, done rerun of Aaron now. They just turned it off, you know, but uh, we're excited to be here. Uh, let me pray as we kind of get into this time together. Lord, just thank you so much for these folks. Lord, thank you for what you're doing just across this country, this, this part of the world. And I just pray that you would just guide us, that you would allow uh, us just to be here. Help us to hear what we want or we need to hear from you and help me to say what you want me to say. Lord, we love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, in the series uh, Without Walls, I just wanna title this, this sermon just very simply, very practically called Sent. And, and, and when you are sent to do something, it means that you're on a mission. And so when you think of the word mission, and this is is group participation, when you think of the word mission, what's some of the first things that come to your mind? A little louder. What's that? The poor? Okay. Oh, war. And the poor. Could be both. Suffering? What else? Mission? Time? Okay, international? Okay, you guys are so much more spiritual than I. All I thought it was mission impossible. You know, that's the, 
That was the first thing that came to my mind. You know, Ethan Hunt, you know, you'll get this message if you accept this mission, it's going to self-destruct in 30 seconds or whatever. You know, I think of NASA, I think of the military, you know, because that's kind of the terms that you use today when people are sent onto mission. And yet there have been so many times in our lives that we've actually been sent on missions, whether we recognize it or realize it at the time. Uh, for example, I cannot tell you how many times that I was sent to my room by my parents. And my mission was to think about what I had just done, and then they would come in and see if I'd accomplished the mission in which they had sent me to do, which is to think about, confess, you know, uh, own up to whatever it is that they sent me to the room for. As, as I grew up, I remember in junior and senior high, the next time I remember hearing that is I went on a mission trip to Mexico or, you know, uh, overseas or some other places. Those are mission experiences. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I know my parents sent me to college, knowing that the mission was actually to get a degree. My mom's mission for me was actually to find a wonderful young gal to marry. You know, uh, by the way, both are successful. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, a wife of 18 years, Carolina, and two boys, a 13-year-old, Josiah, and 10-year-old, Alex. So excited that they're here, you know, uh, today as well. Uh, by the way, do you guys love the Grays? We love the Grays. You know, you know who I'm talking about? Josh and Carrie Gray. He's your executive pastor. People are like, no, I have no idea that it is. You know, well, they're wonderful people, even if you don't know them. We've been staying with them, so I'll just keep talking. Uh, and so, I, you know, I remember being sent, but here's the thing. I got married, and I'm like, all right, mission accomplished, done, until I found out that my wife comes up with something called honeydew lists. You know, those of your husbands know that, and consistently, I am sent on missions, you know, to accomplish for her. And I'm not a fixer-upper person, but she does send me on many errands, uh, one of which is to the store. When she sends me to the store, if there is on the list that she is sending me to accomplish, if there is toilet paper, paper towels, you know, or paper plates, where am I going? Costco, because I only want to go on this mission once for the next six months. So I, I head to Costco, but maybe if you're like me, I kind of like Costco. And even though I have a specific mission I'm supposed to accomplish, my eyes begin to wander and I get off mission. And sometimes I pick up a few other items that weren't on the original list to which she always knows and rolls her eyes when I come in uh, with another six pounds of goldfish. And she doesn't understand goldfish crackers, you know, not goldfish, that'd be awkward. Uh, goldfish crackers. And so, you know, she's like, and so she pulls out the other three pounds we still have from the last time I went. And so that's, that's just our family. You know, maybe you don't have that issue in your family. Now, some of us, us, you know, um, aren't sent by other people to accomplish a mission, so we send ourselves. Uh, how many of you guys on a regular basis put together to-do lists? How many to-do list people? Okay, right? And so what you're doing, think about it, is that you have decided that there is a mission that you're sending yourselves to accomplish with multiple things that you're trying to accomplish within that day or time frame. And some of you cannot sleep at night until all the check marks have been made or cross things have been out. You'll actually get up from sleeping because you want to make sure you can lie down thinking mission accomplished, right? You set, you set out to accomplish something that day and you want to make sure that there is something to accomplish. See, there's something wired or could it be hardwired, we would say, you know, as Christ followers, by God that our lives are supposed to have meaning, purpose, and significance. We're supposed to do something with what God has given us to be, and secondly, to do for him. So what is that? What is the purpose or meaning of life? In Christian circles, here's the question I get frequently, you know, what is God's will for my life? It's a question of being sent. It's a question of mission. It's a question of purpose. And here's how we kind of know that we're wired, whether you're Christian or not. Here's how you know you're wired to do something with your life. Ever ask any kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? You, I have yet to hear a kid say absolutely nothing. 
I actually have hope to have a hopeless and purposeless and meaningless existence. If a kid were actually to answer that, you'd send them to a doctor or psychiatrist or put them on medication. Why? Because even those who don't follow Jesus would say that's not normal, that we're wired to be and do for, for God. Well, what is that? Now, uh, for us as a church, and Michael already talked about this earlier, made up of individuals, we have been sent by Jesus, if you're a follower of him, and our mission is to be and make disciples. So the first purpose of your life is to receive his son, Jesus Christ, amen? That's the first thing. If you're like, what's God's will for my life? It's to receive his son. But you notice that when we receive him, we don't go straight to heaven. That there's still something that he wants to do in us and through us on this side of eternity. And we talk a lot about it, especially through the Real Life Ministries churches. And here's what we're supposed to do. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority. That's a lot of authority. In heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Not just the commands, but to obey them. And be sure of this, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So you're not alone. So the question is that nations is a lot. Going to all the world is a lot. So where am I supposed to do that? Well, nice part about Jesus is he tells us. In Acts 1.8, he told his first disciples, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, which is telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you realize that we are here today only because some people took those words to heart and seriously. It became the purpose of their lives. See, when Jesus told his disciples, it didn't just end with them. They told others, and those people told others, and they start telling others to a couple thousand years later, here we are in the Palouse, hearing the same words. And the mission isn't for other people. It's not for the pastors. It's for us as the church. Uh, a, a lot of times, you know, uh, we think that the church is all about us. But understand this, Jesus never told the world to go to church, but he told the church to go into the world. That's what he's called us for. Now, for those of you who are a little cynical, like myself, you may say, well, good, I never have to come to church again. Dan just told me, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that this is more like uh, football. How many guys like football? Seahawk fans? See, it's, it's where Huskies and Cougars come together, by the way. It's uh, Seahawks, for the most part. Okay, so here's what you know about football, is that they come together, there is a play that's sent in from the sidelines, and they have a mission which they're to accomplish, but they get together and they huddle. In the huddle, if you've ever been in a huddle before, sometimes there's encouragement, Sometimes there's rebuke. Sometimes there's direction, communication. Sometimes, you know, uh, uh, there's guys that say, all right, you know, we need somebody else in and then this position. But here's what happens. When the play gets sent in, they huddle together and then they break the huddle to accomplish the mission on which they have been sent in, which is the play to run. We are in a huddle. This is why we gather. We are huddled together now and the purpose is not just for us to get along or be inspired, but to take whatever it is that the play that God is giving us, however he's calling us or leading us or growing us and taking it outside these walls into the real world. That's what Without Walls is all about. We have been sent. And so with that in mind, 1 Peter 2.9 says, for you are a chosen people. 
You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So regardless of your vocation, you and I are called to be and make disciples of Jesus. So we have been sent. The question is, how? How are we supposed to do this? Well, we're going to look at a very famous story. If you have your Bibles, open up with, to me with uh, Luke chapter 10. And I know we'll have the words on the screen as well. But in Luke chapter 10, we're going to relearn or learn again about this idea of the good Samaritan. Now, here's what's interesting is even in our culture today, you will still hear news stories where they'll describe the situation as a good Samaritan story, where someone reaches out above and beyond somebody that they don't know in order to minister, help, or come alongside. So it's a, it's a famous story. And I'm going to get very practical you know, for us in terms of how can we go outside these walls now that we're huddling to take the play which God has called us to be and make disciples into our real lives. And I hope it's maybe one of those practical things that you've heard, something you can really remember and walk away with. So with that in mind, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, here's what it says. One day, an expert in the religious law, so he's a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Wow, what an important question. Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? It says, as you know, Moses, law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What does that say? How do you read it? The man answered him. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that it's more than just praying a prayer, isn't it? When it comes to inheriting eternal life. Jesus says, right, to do this and you will live. But the man, like many of us, wanted to justify his actions, so we asked Jesus, well, who though, let's talk about this, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And that's the question. Who is our neighbor? And that's where it starts. Now, our neighbor literally, for us, our Jerusalem, our neighbor is our neighborhood. Starts there. In our families, literally neighbors next door. Our neighbors is also where we work, where we play, coffee shops we go to, anywhere where you have relational interaction or the possibility of interaction or connection is our Jerusalem, is our neighbors. So with that in mind, we keep reading verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. There was a Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It's about 17 to 19 miles. I remember going with Aaron. He was just describing it while we were in Israel, how narrow, you know, this road really, really is. And it was so easy to see what would happen next, which is he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along named Aaron. No, that's just Dan reading into the text. You know, I just want to throw that out there because it's the bad guy. Uh, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, or in some of your versions says a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So the first thing in terms of leaving this place and going and making disciples of Jesus is do we even see the needs? Do we even see a need? Uh, do we stop long enough in our to-do list with our predetermined schedules to recognize that there are hurting people all around us? Do we just stop long enough to see that? Uh, see, one of the things you can look at in the story and be like, who really would do that? I mean, think about it. In America today, if somebody was literally bleeding on the side of the road, somebody would stop and help that person or call for help. That's what we would do, you know, in America. But here's what I've come to realize. The needs that you and I most encounter day to day 
are not physical. We encounter people who may even be in this room right now who walk in with smiles on their faces, hair's done, showered, everything looks good on the outside, but internally, they're bleeding out. Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, they're bleeding out on the inside. And do we stop long enough to recognize the needs of those in our sphere of influence, the needs in our neighborhood? Do we see that? Because here's what we know. When something is on your heart and mind, do you recognize you see that something a lot more often? Uh, think about the last time or any time you went shopping for something. Let's just say it's a car. Okay, when all of a sudden you started looking for a specific car, do you notice how that car started popping up all over the place? Like, I didn't notice how many cars of that kind were all, all out there because it was on your heart and mind. Uh, my son, uh, because of the Super Bowl, uh, I, got, uh, I thought the, the Prius commercials, you know, were kind of funny. So since that time, everywhere we drive, every few moments, he'll be like, Dad, there's another Prius. Dad, there's another Prius. Dad, there's another Prius. I am literally convinced that there are millions of Priuses on the road in Spokane now. Because every time we go, it's on his mind, and now he sees that which was unseen to me. So the question is, how do I begin to see the needs that are around me? Could it be that there is one simple prayer that I could give you that would change your heart and mind as you started each day, and you would recognize needs that you didn't even see the day before? Here would be the prayer that I would challenge you to begin to pray. As you woke up in the morning, what if you prayed this prayer? God, how do you want to love me? And who do you want to love through me today? How do you want to love me? Now we can say, well, God did already love me by sending a son. That's true. But as a good father, every day, even in the midst of pain, suffering, and difficulty, there's ways to see the love of God that's being exemplified in, through, and around us that we can recognize, God, you still love. You still are at work. You are still on the throne. God, how do you want to love me? And then secondly, who do you want to love through me? When you begin to pray that prayer, it's like my son with the Prius commercial. All of a sudden, that coworker, neighbor, friend, you start having a conversation. You're like, whoa, this person's bleeding. I didn't even see this yesterday because I wasn't just preoccupied in my heart and mind with my own stuff. I'm now made aware of other stuff around me and what an opportunity after I see that need. And if you're here today and you know that you're suffering internally, that's what this community is about. It's to be around one another, to help, to come alongside and be the body of Christ as Jesus has called us to be. God, how do you want to love me and who do you want to love through me? And what if you bookended it at the end of the day? Before you went to sleep, you just looked back and said, God, how did you love me? And who did you love through me? Here's my challenge. Do it for seven days. Watch what happens in the next seven days as you recognize the needs around you by simply starting and ending the day with that simple prayer. How do you want to love me and who do you want to love through me? So first is to see a need. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan. Now many of you know, Samaritan is a half Jew or half breed, you know, of some sort of connection with a Jewish person. Now they hated each other absolutely hate each other. Here's one of the reasons why. God commanded them, the nation of Israel, not to intermarry. So either by force or by choice, some in the nation of Israel, Jewish folks, intermarried. Others kept their bloodline and felt like they were obeying the commands of God. So you can imagine the tension between the two groups looking at them and saying to one another to say, you Samaritan, at some point you gave in. 
whether it was you, your dad, your grandfather, your grandma, somebody gave in, either by force or by choice, where in my pure line blood, we suffered, we sacrificed, some of us died not to disobey the command of God. And so you see this tension that's taking place. So a despised Samaritan, Jesus is making a point here. He says he came along, oh, oh by the way, uh, as bad Samaritan, they thought that was one of the ways to insult Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 8, 48, it's the, the crowds tell Jesus, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? That's the level of insult that they thought it was to be called a Samaritan. Demon possession, Samaritan. We look at it going, that's kind of silly. But for them, that's a real insult. And so we keep going. You know, it says, a despised Samaritan, Jesus says, came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Notice that compassion, a love for people, not as products, but people who created in the image of God is what was on the heart of this Samaritan person. Going over to him. Don't miss that part. So he sees the need and then he goes over to him. He takes a risk. So the first thing is they see the need, but the second is to take a risk. Sometimes the biggest risk is taking the first step. Walking literally across the road to help see what you can do next. It's a risk to start a conversation and reach out to people we don't know. I know it is for me. Some of you extroverted types, it's unbelievable. I, I envy you because you're able just to have the simplest, easiest conversation with people, make them feel so warm and welcome. And, you know, my wife, we're checking out in Walmart and she's talking to the lady and stuff like that. A few minutes later, they're chit-chatting and now the Walmart cashier's coming to the Lord and half the place, no, I'm just kidding, you know, but, but she, she connects with them in just this way. And I'm sitting there going, can I pay for my gum? I mean, I don't know what to say, you know, to get the conversation started. She's really good at it. I'm not. Some of you guys are great along those lines. See, sometimes we think, I've got to do this, this monumental thing. And what Jesus is usually asking us to do is to do the little thing that makes the biggest difference, but it's the first step that can be the hardest. God's going to give us opportunities to do that. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, somebody in our church named Kim, uh, she uh, is, was a stay-at-home mom for a period of time. And what she did is she went to her bus stop where she dropped off her kids, found out there were 40 kids at this one bus stop. So she said, I see a need. These people don't have community. They don't have relationships. Here's an opportunity for me to take a risk and introduce myself and get to know these people. And so she started bringing coffee and donuts and just started connecting with people because she felt like that's what God wanted her to do. And so I said, Kim, tell me more about that. She's almost called the mayor now of the bus stop. That's her new thing. They call her the mayor. And so she writes these words. My fundamental motivation for doing things like coffee mornings and taking coffee or muffins to neighbors is because I think they're great. I know they each have a unique story and I love hearing about their lives. Whether they know it, believe it or not, God created them for a purpose and has a plan for their life. I believe God has given me a genuine love of people that truly flows from his love for me and all of us, especially when I didn't and still don't have it all together. I don't do coffee mornings or any other acts of service out of obligation or view people as projects. I recognize that he allows us to be part of his story and that it's his work who changes lives. He restores hearts and allows beautiful growth. I just love having a front row seat to all that's going on. Isn't that a picture? What a great picture to be able to do that. So many people have encountered Christians and they're like, I can't be in relationship with you because as soon as you get a hint that I may not be a Christian the first time you asked me to come to church and be a Christian, you cut off relationship. That's not what Jesus called us to do. 
He didn't call us to make, have, have people be projects, but he calls us to build relationship. For us to do our part, let him do his part. I know for us, it was not easy. I was on staff at Post Halls for four years. And uh, I remember, you know, going through this process of going, God, are you really calling us to leave this place? I mean, I was like, God, you're using us. We're building relationships that are going deeper. And then that dreaded word came up and I'm comfortable. Don't ever say that to God, by the way. Don't, ever, don't, just don't. I'm just warning you right now. Just don't ever do that. And so I said, I'm comfortable. And God says, well, I've got some different plans. So we had to take the risk, the first step to leave our place of home because God was calling us to something different. And it was clear, and, and, but it was hard to take that first step. This last year has been incredibly difficult, but incredibly amazing. We tried to go deep, the church exploded. So we're just trying to keep up to what God is doing. And it's just exciting to be a part of it. At the same time, it would never happen if we didn't say, God, we're gonna take the risk. We're gonna take a risk. We're gonna walk across the street. Now, it's a risk to reach out to people who may be friendly back to us. What about the people who are not friendly? Right? That's what we're really seeing exemplified here. Here is a Jewish person, a Samaritan, walking over to a Jewish person. This, there's prejudice. There's issues going on. I mean, what if we build relationships with people who say bad words? What if we do that? Who may say things around our kids or our family? I mean, even worse yet, what if the people we build relationships with are Democrats, <laughs> right? Democrats or Republicans or Libertarians or Hillary supporters or Trump supporters. I mean, you can just go on and on. You can see the dividing, you know, divisiveness that's taking place in our country, you know, over something like this. And we have a hard time reaching out because of the prejudices that we may have or that they might have against us. What if the person's gay? What if they're part of the LGBTQ community? See, God has called us to take a risk for him to do his part, our, us to do our part, and they've got to do their part. But he's called us to walk across the road. And it's hard. I, I could tell you about Steve in our neighborhood. That was a hard, something real practical. Steve did not like kids. And he's a guy in our neighborhood. He hated kids and he scared them and he called the police on them and he did all these different things. He was not a fan of anybody in our community. Now you hurt me, that's one thing. You hurt my kids, right? It's a whole other thing. Unfortunately, Steve passed away six months ago. And when he passes away, very few people, if any, reached out to his wife because she was part of the problem. Like, so, so she's sitting in isolation and hurt. And God kept prompting me, Dan, you gotta reach out. You gotta reach out. And I'm like, I don't wanna reach out. They hurt my kids. Let them suffer a little bit, right? That's my emotion. That's my physical nature, but we started to reach out and we've been reaching out to her, just trying to help her in her grief. I don't say that to brag. I say that because it's not easy. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So we see a need. We take a risk. And then verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So not only did he see the need, not only did he take a risk, now he meets the need. He meets the need. He says, here's a way that I can meet a need in which God has presented to me on this day. I may have had other plans, other agendas, but I'm gonna realign to God's plans and God's way for this day and allow myself to be used by him. So you and I have practical opportunities every day to meet needs of those around us. 
Uh, you remember the windstorm? You know, it took place a little over a year ago, and our area just decimated stuff. It was, it was like a, if you ever uh, study sociology, I mean, what a great social experiment. One neighborhood had lights on, next one completely dark for weeks. Another neighborhood lights on, and, and so on and so on. Well, in our neighborhood, I think we got a few pictures uh, around the church area. There was these fallen trees and different things. Immediately, we had church people that rallied their neighbors, literally their neighbors, to help meet a practical need. They said, we see a need, whether these neighbors like us or not, we're going to take a risk and we're going to start meeting those needs. So some of you are coaches, youth coaches in sports. I could do that with my boys and I've done that with my boys, but my primary mission isn't just to teach the kids football, soccer, or basketball. It's to help the kids in those areas but build relationships to see what the needs may be behind the mass that's being shown by the parents. So I can see a need, take a risk and try to meet some of those needs. Understand this, guys. Many people outside these walls do not care what or who you know until they know how much you care. They just don't. If information was the sole key to transformation, then Google would have solved our problem years ago. There is more information about Jesus at our fingertips than ever in the history of mankind, and yet look at our country today. People need to see something different. They need to experience something different. Now, is information important? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got to get the right information. But it's Jesus with skin on is what people are looking for these days. Something different. Uh, maybe your uh, God has placed it on your heart or you might be wrestling through some things right now of something longer. So you can meet a practical need in the midst of a moment. But what about something longer? I, I could tell you in our community group, uh, our care group, same, same thing as you guys have, is uh, we started with a certain number of kids at the beginning of the year and we ended with a different number at the end of the year. But it wasn't because the ladies had babies. It was because a couple families in our group decided to try this foster care thing. In fact, uh, one of the gals, I asked her, kind of tell me your story again on the journey you went as you saw a need, you took a risk and you started to meet that need. And this is what she writes. She says, having close friends who foster, we recognize the huge, huge need, but we just didn't really feel led to do it. So we prayed about it. Probably about a year ago, Ben, her husband, began to truly seek God about this whole idea of fostering. Twice, he felt the Lord told him we needed to go get licensed. Now, this was no small thing as he had been pretty close to the idea in the past. Well, we went to the orientation meeting in August. We decided we'd tiptoe into the foster world by doing emergency placements on weekends and evenings just for respite, giving other foster families a break. Well, we took all the, the classes in December and completed the crazy amount of paperwork, figuring we'd be licensed just after the first of the year. But it was delayed month after month after month. So we actually got our license this year on May 19th. And a call for two boys came an hour and a half, literally after they were licensed, to be placed in foster care. Uh, 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 and here, I want to show you a picture of these two boys. A nine-month-old and a two-year-old. It's funny, she says, how random it felt, yet these were the two who came into care on that exact day. God's timing, right? So we picked them up that afternoon and scrambled on what we needed for two young kids because we'd only planned for one baby and we got two toddlers at the same time. Our church and other foster families were really great at meeting physical needs those first few weeks. We were given diapers, clothes, food, gear, and all that helped. There's more to the story. And then she finishes with this and realized it's not been easy. 
So it's a longer term impact that they're trying to make. And it's not easy sometimes to be able to do that. I know my wife and I, you know, have felt called to this in our same journey. We're in the process of adopting a child from Columbia, South America, where my wife was born. And so we're in the midst of this whole thing. And I'm thinking, we're crazy. Why are we doing this? That's what I think sometimes. I get a little panics, you know, every once in a while. I'm like, I have a 13-year-old boy and a 10-year-old boy, and now I'm thinking adopting a third? I'm like, right now it's man-to-man defense. It's perfect. You know, we're gonna have to go to some sort of matchup zone. And what if it's a girl? I mean, I grew up with only boys. I only have boys. I mean, do they break when you wrestle with them? I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, so, but that's just, that's just my journey. But that's the journey that God's called us on. And we're just trying to be obedient to seeing a need, taking a risk, meeting a need. And then finally in verse 35, I'll pay you, he says, the Samaritan says, the next time I'm here, he's coming back to check on him. So what we see is he follows up relationally. So we see a need, we take a risk, we meet a need, and then it's all about relationships, isn't it? Relationally is how Jesus called us to live. And he ends this conversation with this lawyer describing who is my neighbor with these verses in 36 and 37. Now, which of these three would say he was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked simply, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The words to the lawyer is the same words for us today. To be and make disciples of Jesus is to go and do the same. We have huddled together this morning. We have heard from God. We have been challenged as the good Samaritan has, was challenged in the, as, as, as an example to the lawyer to see a need, to take a risk, to meet that need and to follow up relationally. Who has God put in your sphere of influence this week to be a good Samaritan? And if nobody comes to mind right away, will you take the seven day challenge? God, how do you want to love me? And who do you want to love through me today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the chance to be here on this morning. And if there's anyone in this room who's not yet received you, pray they'd open up their hearts and minds knowing that is your first thing for us, your first will for our lives to receive your son. Father, if there's anybody that's bleeding or hurting internally in this room, that they'd have the courage to be able to share that with those sitting around them. And Father, for the rest of us, we just pray, Father, how do you want to love us? And who do you want to love through us? And as we leave this place, may we go into our Jerusalem, our community, our neighborhood to make a difference for you. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Real Life. If you have any questions or feedback about this message, please send us an email at comment at liferotp.com. Without Walls, we'll wrap up next Sunday as Jim Putman from Real Life Ministries Post Falls joins us. Until then, be blessed and have a great week.